Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a crack of Brian Gumble. Standing on the ground, black feet, black, coming bars and charts, and I'm doing it on my terms. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Primitive Clones Consulting at Clones Coach on Instagram and TikTok. They just call me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me, once again, is the catastrophe queen, the claims dame, Miss Jessica Odell. And as always, the mesmerizingly metaphysical and the meticulously miraculous, the one, the only baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. How's everybody doing? Post Super Bowl. Good, good, good. Baby cakes is a uh, Chiefs fan, so yes. she's super stoked. Dude, the halftime show started off kind of meh for me, but when Little John and Luda came out, mm-hmm. oh man. <laughs> <laughs> my kids were embarrassed it's so funny. Down for what indeed if you're watching social media believe it or not those are that's pretty much the consensus is that it was sort of like whatever you know i you know i i i'm i have mad respect for alicia keys and her musical ability mm-hmm. um and i will tell you that i had one small guilty pleasure which is the voice and so when alicia keys and usher were on there i mean as people they're great i'm not a big fan of necessarily either of their music though i do find them to be exceptionally talented individuals right. while i may not be a fan i am a huge respecter of them mm-hmm. so um but we've made it through another super bowl yep. and uh the cowboys have managed to not win that one either <laughs> <laughs> i'm so upset and uh Jessica had a fun thing that happened on Super Bowl Sunday. So take 60 seconds and tell us how your Super Bowl Sunday started, Jessica. Yeah, with two to two and a half inch hail falling onto, you know, we're, we're still in this camper. We got 14 weeks and the build will be complete. So that's all we have to get through. And then I don't care what happens to the roof in this camper. But, you know, our TPO roof it, uh, got nicely bruised. We don't know if... uh if it broke any, you know, the seal or anything, but it definitely dinged up my truck real good. I mean, I, I just, it came out of nowhere and it was so loud because we were in a camper. I mean, crazy loud. We didn't know what the hell was going on. So we flung the sheets up and everything. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sure depending on the carrier you ask, you don't have any damage on there at all. So that's the good right. thing is you have oh, no we, damage. We definitely documented the crap out of everything because. <laughs> I mean, it, it was. It was loud. It was a surprise. We've been sitting out here for three years. We get, you know, baby hail is what we call it, right? Baby hail, an inch. Yeah. <laughs> but this was two and a half inches. And yeah, it was big. In fact, most of most of East Texas, your primary cities out in East Texas, and I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of smaller towns out there, but Tyler yeah, and Longview, uh, yep. Tyler and Longview, both got pummeled pretty good. My uh, pretty good. I, yep. I've got a family member that's actually the news director for the ABC affiliate out there. And uh, nice. he, he had a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, they had tornado warnings and stuff like that. So as the damage reports roll in, all of you East Texas listeners and, and Western Louisiana listeners, 
Um, good luck to you because you're the one that gets to kick us off. And uh, speaking of good luck, I'd like to wish Baby Cake some good luck as she gets us into some fun facts. Yes. Fun Facts with Baby Cakes is brought to you by Inc., the best way to get paid after a property claim. Inc., save time, get paid. So I want to tell you about a woman named Georgia Tan. Have you ever heard of her? I have not, other than I believe she's Mr. and Mrs. Tan's little girl. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> so she was a social worker in Tennessee um, for the Tennessee Children's Home Society in the, the mid-20s. So starting in the mid-20s, she was in charge of adoptions. And she st- for after doing it for a couple of years, she started to realize she could make a lot of money by, by doing out-of-state adoptions. So she started doing... Um, doing that and charging thousands of dollars for per child for out-of-state adoptions. Now, what year was this? The mid-1920s. The mid-1920s. Wow. Wow. And she would find a, a poor single mother and swindle, swindle the mom into giving custody, giving her custody of the baby. So this is pre-depression. Everybody yeah. got a lot of money at this point. Yeah, Nobody okay. was depressed yet. Yeah. Nobody was depressed yet. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting for the depression to end. <laughs> So she she would swindle them into giving her giving her custody of the baby so she could sell it, and if that didn't work, she would pretty much kidnap the baby, and and sell it. Um. So she. <laughs> Oof. I, I like people who can solve their problems. I appreciate the resourcefulness there. And you don't want to sell it to me? I'll just take it. Yep. So she ended up doing this for twenty five years. And she was eventually caught in 1950. And in that same year, she died of cancer. So the interesting thing about this story is that, um, first of all, she was responsible for for kidnapping over 5,000 children. 5,000 kids. In 25 years. Um, One of the children, this is the interesting thing. One of the children was adopted by a young couple named Kathleen and Richard Flyer. And that child would grow up to be wrestler Richard Rick Flair. Really? Yeah. So uh, he owes her a debt of gratitude. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> that was short and sweet. Now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. There we go, and that's fun uh-huh. facts by Baby Cakes, brought to you by Ink. Guys, we've got an incredible show for you today, and I'm going to tell you, I have not addressed contractors in a while, and so while public adjusters are going to be able to get a lot out of this episode as well, but this is really um, directed to all of my contractor buddies out there that are slugging it out every day. Um, we're going to be talking about different forms of like reinspection, and I'll get into the rounds here in just a little bit, but I want to remind you that it's going to come to you in three separate rounds. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun, and when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. I want to remind you that it is not Jessica and I that will be debating. We are pro- merely providing the commentary for the rumble that you guys are in each and every day, slugging it out with one another, and without further ado, Let's get into round one because it starts right after this. Public adjusters, roofers, and restoration contractors, listen up. This is Jeremy Lavelle, host of The Rumble, and I am hosting a very unique training event called Control the Narrative. I will be unpacking all of my tips, tricks, and tools in a -a one-of-a-kind, one-day masterclass. If you want to learn practical claim strategy, how to gather the actual documentation that gets the claim approved, and how to manage and organize multiple claims, you are going to want to sign up for this event. Control the Narrative is being held 
held on March the 5th in Texas. You will receive a full day of training, access to all the tools and technology used in the process. You're gonna get free swag, and most of all, you're gonna get all of your questions answered. Lunch is going to be provided, and there's gonna be a happy hour immediately following the training. So go to remedyclaims.com training to register. There's only 50 seats available, so don't wait. Register now, and I'll see you on the next one. Round one, the reinspection. Now, let me first say that we have been dealing, everybody, public adjusters, um, contractors, all of us at some point in time deal with the reinspection. And we did a really good episode on it. If you have not heard it, it's actually episode 11 of season one. So we did this last year, right out about a year ago is when we did it. And there's a lot of good information on the reinspection. But I do want to kind of go um, go over and review a little bit about how reinspections are going to work, especially from a contractor's point of view. I think I dealt with it more from the um I dealt with it more from the public adjuster side of things, but I did really want to take a contractor's perspective here because um you guys are such great partners. And so um reinspections can be kind of you know kind of hideous but um often necessary because one of the practices among a lot of the carriers whether they're sending out um independent adjusters or even now they have a lot of these ladder assists and as it's coming in to hail season i anticipate a lot of reinspections happening because they're simply just not approving roofs on the first visit it, would you agree with that jess yeah. i mean because just Jess is actually, um, I don't know what I, is it, is it chief operations officer or vice president of operations? I'm not real sure what your title is with that contractor, but, um, it's chief operating officer. Yeah. Chief Chief operating. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Chief operating officer. Um, reinspections are just a part of life. Right. And, um, I remember one time, Jess, I just want to tell you a quick little story. (laughs) I had, um, gone out. I, you know, the carrier had already come out once and I went out and I inspected the loss and I did my scope thing and I put together, you know, whatever you want to call it. I call it a claim summary report just because it sounds nice and official. But at the end of the day, it's what you and I refer to in vernacular as we're discussing thing, our proof of loss packet. Right. And I've got all of my stuff and I assembled assembled it together and I sent it into the carrier. And uh, this particular carrier is one that we all have to deal with at some point in time. So you use your best judgment here as to which one I'm talking about. I'm not going to say any names, but they called me up and this is literally what the desk adjuster told me. They said, you have been awarded a reinspection. Awarded. I've been oh, awarded. How, how what a privilege. You I won. Was- I was hoping that I might get like a certificate suitable for framing. I didn't know if there was going to be a ceremony. Um, it was I allowed to invite people. There were donuts. I, there were donuts. <laughs> you were awarded Avery. I was awarded, and I, you know, I got all the warm and fuzzies, all of these what things. What a treat! <laughs> what a treat! What a treat! <laughs> and I literally replied to this desk adjuster. I said, "I've been awarded." I said, well, that's fun because I wasn't looking for a reinspection. And she goes, well, what did you want? I said, well, I sent you a report. Is there something that my report is missing? Right. 
that you need to, and it's like, I'm, I'm more than happy for you to come out and take a look at things, but is there something that my report is missing because are, is it you that's going to come out and look at it? Or are you just going to send, send somebody else out to do the exact damn thing that I did? And you're right. going to look at theirs versus mine. And, yep. and as long as theirs matches mine, we're okay. But if it doesn't, you're just going to disregard mine altogether. Is that the game plan here? Yep. You know, and, and look, I didn't win or lose anything in that little conversation, but what I did do is set the tone. And, and, and as you guys, as you contractors that are having conversations with carriers, one of the things that I, you know, obviously I've got a training course that's coming up, no plug here, but the title of that training course is control the narrative. And this is, this is where we start by knocking the carrier off their game. Do you know what I mean? And so this whole process that they go through, yes, they do have a right to inspect. Yes, they do have the obligation to conduct a full and complete investigation. But what they don't do is they they almost want to go, we're going to go tell you the damages that you should be claiming versus you claiming the damages and them determining if there's coverage. Coverage, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and, and that's decision. what happens. Right. It's a business there, decision, not a policy decision or a coverage and, decision, I mean. And 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 just carriers have seemed to drift into that lane. And what I think it is is a steady degradation of the process. I mean, do you yes. I mean do you think that it's just kind of what has happened is it has dwindled down over time and I remember one of the, you know, and I'll get into this in other rounds. Um and you sitting on the ICRC board can, you know, it's the whole thing where things things have become guidelines that you know, move from guidelines into rule of thumb into industry standard if we're not careful. And right. what has happened is, is we didn't stop it quick enough before it became industry standard. So this process that she called me up and awarded me with has now become industry standard. Okay. And that's what I want to address. And in the only people, because look, there is only, you know, a handful of people that are going to hire an attorney or a public adjuster. Everybody's going to hire a contractor at some yep. level. And so one of the things that I want to, I need your help with contractors, those of you that are listening is to, is to reset the standard here. We've got to change the standard and you guys are the, are the, are the first line of defense. You're the first responders in this situation to fix this. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to throw a whole bunch of responsibility on you, but I'm telling you, if we can get you moving in this direction, it's like if you want to come out. But here's what you do is that you walk them through. And if you don't have a report and you don't have photos and I'm not telling you that you've got to put together a report that looks like an adjuster's, I would never put that on you. If you want to learn how to do that, I am more than happy to teach you and work with you and your organization to teach you how to do that. But the most important thing is, is that you are there to determine how to repair the damages 
uh, that you've discovered that you believe for whatever reason, whatever level of expertise you may be working in, that they that they would be storm related. Now, you're not there to determine causation. You're actually there. It's like, look, this looks like it's storm related. Um, it's, you know, it looks like hail damage. This is consistent with the hail damage that I've looked at and repaired in the past. I know exactly what it's going to take to repair this. And so what you're wanting to do on behalf of the homeowner in that situation, because if we're talking about roofs, homeowners aren't climbing roofs. Now, you may have a few of those out there that are kind of crazy. That want to <laughs> little billy badasses out there. Oops. You know, and I mean, look, I mean, there's, 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 I mean, you'll get a little bit of everything everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, but most of the time they're not going to get up on the roof. What your demeanor needs to be during this reinspection is you're going to point at hail damage because likely the person that's out there is not a staff adjuster. And if they are, it doesn't really affect what it is that you're going to do here. Cause you're going to point to that and that adjuster, whether it's an independent adjuster, staff adjuster, um, ladder person, I don't really care because they're all good people and their kids got soccer practice at six o'clock too. So I'm not trying to beat up on them, but what you are there to do as a contractor and public adjusters too, is this is what we're claiming. Now, whether it's covered, whether you agree with me, whether you don't agree with me one way or the other, this is what we're claiming. And I need you to document it as claimed damage. The coverage decision comes later because unless you're having a if, because unless you have a policy or have reviewed the policy and you're ready to make a coverage decision standing here on the roof, take a picture of it because I'm going to discuss it with the desk adjuster later. Right. And know, know the laws in your state regarding recording of the reinspection. You know, it, it, I don't, I hate to say that people are, you know, are dishonest. They agree to the roof and then they go back and either they tell, you know, the carrier or desk adjuster, no, we're not buying the roof. Or the desk adjuster says, I don't care what you say, field guy, we're not buying the roof. I mean, I hate to say that there's dishonesty out there, but there is. And I mean, in some states, it's just a one-party state. Only one person has to know that you're, they're being recorded. And so if you're that person that knows you're recording the other the other party, you're good. Um, just be careful, though, because there are two-party states where you have to have the permission of the other person to record. But record it. You may never, ever have to use it. But in the event you do, you'll be very glad that you had it and, and can go back and reference it. I'm going to defer to our uh, resident legal expert on that comment. Now, none of us are attorneys. Nothing that we say should be taken as legal advice. Always, always, always check with an attorney before you execute on anything. Always, always, always. So if you're wondering when you should check with an attorney, it's always, always, always check <laughs> yes. with an attorney. And their turn, their answer is always going to be, it depends. It depends. Right. So, but I'm going to defer. Doesn't there have to be some reasonable expectation of privacy for that one or two party law to apply? Um, well, most people, like if you're, if you're on the phone with an adjuster, um, their line's being recorded anyway, and it tells you that, or they usually tell you that. So they have no expectation of privacy because they're in their, their company. They know their company's re recording. Um, on top of somebody's roof? Well, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so because you're at that person's house. You shouldn't expect. They don't have privacy at somebody else's house. Yeah. 
there's no reasonable expectation of privacy there. So I am going to, I mean, and look at, at any, at any level, any recording that you take is probably not going to be wielded by you. It's merely evidence that you may have that may come out during discovery and whether it's admissible or not is really not the argument at this point. Yeah. The thing is, is that whether it's admissible or not is a decision for an attorney or whether or not he wants to use it anyway. But if you've got the information, it if it's could, not admissible, right? you can't the you can't use it. So if you don't get the if it, if it is a two party state and you don't let that other person know and get their permission, then it will not be admissible. Right. But right. it could. But it does inform some things. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and there, the the. the Evidence that is admissible may be discoverable in other in other places, like communication yes. between that adjuster saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, I want to replace the roof to that to the uh, desk adjuster." And the desk adjuster says, "I don't give a damn what you think. We're not replacing the roof. The only reason I sent you out there was to deny it, and you didn't come back with that answer. So I'm changing your answer." I mean, that sort of discovery may be available. Yeah. If not- there's an attorney out there that can chime in um, in the comments. That would be great. We'd love to hear it. Um, but when it comes to these reinspections, the thing that I want to drill down on, and Jess, I want to give you a minute to talk because I've literally just, you know, verbal diarrhea all over everything here. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> the point is, the point is, is that they are there to look at the damages you're claiming. And that's the other thing that I would tell you is that even if it's not a reinspection, even if it's an initial inspection, them showing up to tell you the damages that you can claim is like asking a criminal how much time he would like to spend in prison. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Jess, I'll give you a minute to kind of kind of chime in here on your with your wisdom, because I know there's a lot of it. Uh, no, I was just. Probably just remind folks, you know, if you're going to go out for a reinspection, don't assume that you remember everything about the job site and, and the damages. Do do a review the night before, just like studying for a test or whatever, just a night before, do a quick review and then show up the next day. Um, so there is, you know, a technique or a tactic, especially with roofs, to get there early and, you know, make sure that the markings are still there. If not, go ahead and mark it back up. And that way, when the adjuster shows up, it's clear as day. And then last, I, I would say, please keep egos at bay the best you can. And I even have to remind myself of that. Amen. <laughs> just, Me too. You, you get more bees with honey, you know, and, you know, just try to, it seems like a lot of times the adjusters, get, you know, show up and, and they kind of feel I don't know. Like there's already tension. You haven't even said hello. And they're, and they're already kind of armed. Try, yeah. try to disarm them first. Make small talk. Try to disarm them before you even start on the claim. And it would be another technique. Um, I completely agree. And on the marking of the roof thing, if they get upset with you for marking the roof, it's like, sir, I'm just simply pointing out the yep. damages that I'm claiming. So how would you prefer? How how would you have preferred me to do that? Well, now I've right. got to redo everything. It's like you're not here to do anything other than right. investigate and document right. the damages that I'm claiming. That's, That's right. it. And if you're trying to step outside of that, I, you go back to the scenario of the criminal telling you how much time he wants to spend in prison. It's ridiculous. And so that is what I'm telling you. During a reinspection, maintain control of the narrative by simply doing the one thing that you're there to display the damages that are being claimed by the insured. It is their claim. It is 100% their 
claim. It's not the carrier's claim. It's not this other guy's claim. This isn't his meeting. The reason that we're there is to discover the damages that are being claimed under this policy. That is why we have a reinspection or an inspection at all. And they can come out there and look as many times as they want to. And I'm going to show them the same thing over and over and over again. And the biggest thing that I want you guys to take away from this is, are they there to make a coverage decision or is that going to be made by the desk? That is a question that you can ask. Are you here to make a coverage decision or is that going to be made by the desk? And if that's the case, then all your all that person has then become is a glorified picture taker. Yep. So we're going to get into some other fun things when they send people out to your house that may not have caught all the damage. We're going to get into round two. It starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, and this one's one of my favorites, the competitive bid. <laughs> um, I'm sitting here watching. Y'all can't see her because you're listening like on a non-video version of this recording. But Jess is just sitting there shaking her head. Like, <laughs> she's just shaking her head like one of her kids just peed in the middle of the floor. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, the competitive bid, um, Jess, do you want to talk about this? I definitely have thoughts on it, but do you want to talk about it at all or kind of how you've handled them in the past? Especially when the insured already has a signed contract with their preferred vendor, with their selected vendor, telling the insured to go out and get two more bids so that there's three bids is, it's absurd. I do understand that there are contractors out there that have taken advantage of of insurance that have just inflated their invoice. And if if theory has it that, you know, if you go with that person that is completely inflated and then the insurance company owes, you know, it's cost incurred, but is you can't, punish an entire industry for the bad actors hold the bad actors accountable you know for fraud or whatever the case may be but to hold hostage a claim or whatever because there's an assumption that the selected contractor is you know perhaps inflating their estimate or or committing fraud or whatever it's just it's wrong it's very wrong by law we are all as consumers allowed to choose our vendor, who we want. And the most we should have to pay for an insurance claim out of our pocket is our deductible. The rest gets paid by the freaking policy. That's what the the contract says. It doesn't say, go pick somebody, but also don't forget to have two more because we want to make sure that they're fair. No, you have Xactimate, 
right? Most of these carriers have exactimeter stability. Those prices, and and I, I probably should have double checked with Harmon, my, my go-to, right, for for this piece of detail, but correct me if I'm wrong, exactimate's pricing for zip code gives puts you right smack dab in the middle of the bell curve. And what what I say bell curve because it's that means that 50% of contractors in that same zip code can also do the job for a little less and 50% in that market can also do it for a little more. So the price that they're spitting out is right there at that middle of the bell curve. So yeah, there's a likelihood that they may choose a more expensive contractor. There's a likelihood they may choose a less expensive contractor. Sure. It, it's an estimate. It's a ballpark. The invoice, the invoice is the only thing that can be held or bound as a, as a legitimate number to, to go after if there is a dispute, not an estimate. You know, that's, so, that's, that is, that is dead nuts on. That is 100% absolutely right. The point of Xactimate is a competitive bid. Yeah. That's the, All, that's, in and of itself, it, it does. It gets you in the ballpark. And, uh, you know, I know not all contractors out there like Xactimate. And uh, look, man, I, I will stand up and cheer for you lump sum guys all day long because you want to talk about an industry standard. Lump sum pricing is an industry standard. The That's only right. time we get into cost plus pricing is when it's an insurance claim. You know, if you want some O&P arguments here, here's one. What about the administrative burden it requires for us to even handle an insurance claim? Just the administrative burden alone, I have to go put it into a, a, a piece of software in order for you to in order for you to consider it substantiated. So I have to put it into a piece of software. I have to hire somebody to do that. And, you know, I'm an estimator. I know what I charge to estimate. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that are charging probably less than what I would charge. But what and I more. Yeah, are, <laughs> yes, that's true. There's people out there charging more than what I would charge to estimate. And so um, what I would say is, is I know that that is a significant cost burden, especially if you're having to do it, you know, five, 10, 12 times, you know, throughout the month. I mean, that's a significant cost, burden. it's a significant piece of overhead just to be able to service people, which is where I'm figuring, you know, a lot of contractors, a bulk, a bulk of their work is coming from. It's coming out of it's coming out of the insurance industry. And look, that's just part of, you know, the economy that we all live in. Like, I, you know, that's just the way that it goes. And contractors and God love each and every one of you in an effort to try to help people. You have agreed to work with people's insurance carriers and walk them through the process. You've gone through the process multiple times and you're trying to walk them through the process. So a couple of things I want to suggest to you guys is one, make sure you fully understand the process of that carrier. And two, um, stick to what you know. You know what I'm saying? These are good places when the process gets a little bit outside of your lane or you're a little confused or, or you know, if it's if it's rather arduous or in a large scope, it's a good time to probably at least have a conversation with a public adjuster. 
Um, and so, you know, and, and utilize them. I'm not saying that you have to hire a public adjuster on every claim. God, no, I've got one of my good friends. I'm going to big shout out to uh, Chris, uh, Chris Parrish of, of Forest Roofing. That guy has got his process down. He knows it rarely has to call me. Um, but when he does, you know, he knows, he knows when to bring me in. So big shout out to Chris there. I like him a lot. And, uh, but he, he doesn't hire me much, but when he does, he needs me. And so when we get into these competitive bids, one of the things I like to do, let me give you guys a little trick here. Okay. Um, when they show up, cause sometimes the carrier will send out their own contractor, to get this competitive bid. That's a really yep. common thing. I and just so, had it on a water loss not long ago. So and when that contractor shows up, you've got to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, right? And not apples to oranges. Cause what happened is they'll usually send out one of their MRP contractors to go write that estimate per those MRP guidelines or per carrier guidelines, but we don't write per guidelines. Guidelines exist. So um, inexperienced people don't make mistakes. That's the reason those estimating guidelines exist. But if you're a, comp uh, a, a competent contractor, you know what you're doing. You understand the nuance of the house. Those guidelines don't take any of the nuance of the, the actual risk location. None of those guidelines are bespoke to that actual loss. So one of the things that you do is there's a report that you can print in Xactimate that has no pricing on it. It's called a scope report. That's right. Has no price on it. And so when that competitive bid contractor, even, even you public adjusters can do this thing too. Print that scope report and go, you need to do a bid on this. Well, well, we can't do that. We're here to do, you're not here to investigate the loss. You're here to provide a bid based on an agreed scope. And so whether or not you have an agreed scope, before you agree to a competitive bid coming out, what you need to have with the carrier, whether you're a contractor or a public adjuster, is an agreed scope. But a lot of times they'll send them out there, especially if you're a contractor, they'll call the homeowner and they'll send them out anyway. And, you know, and you won't know about it. And and I'm not going to get into all of the legal ramifications and all of the things that go into whether it's torturous interference and all of this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you want to make sure that they have that scope report. And if you're going to provide a price, at least provide a price on the job that I'm doing. Because that's the question is, is it competitive to what I'm doing now? If the carrier's got problems with your line item. So, for example, I'm going to pick one that's really let's say you have 40 hours of supervision on this job. OK. So, Mr. Contractor, Mr. Competitive Bid Contractor, what would you price 40 hours of super residential supervision or commercial supervision, whatever the case, what would you price that out to be? And that's what I want you to provide a price on. And then you can turn that into the carrier. Otherwise, he's there to argue scope. And that's not really the latitude of what that competitive bid contractor is really exactly. there. So yep. you need to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. That is the most important thing that you do. And here's my other favorite trick. And then I'll let Jess talk again. When they send that competitive guy out there, and you get him to write a write an estimate, and if he won't take your scope, I always tell the desk adjuster this, and contractors, you can do that too. I'm, I'm fine with you sending out a competitive contractor. That's fine with me. Make sure he brings a contract with him so that we can sign that when he's on site. 
never thought about that. <laughs> Woo. So when he comes out with a 12 out, because I'm all about yep. 12 yep. I'm all about it. <laughs> that is genius. Just is make genius. sure. Just make sure that he brings a contract with him so that we can go ahead and sign that. And I have done this a handful. I've done this a handful of times. And that contractor shows up and as a public adjuster, he he comes in and I every one of them come in with with an ego, you know, that I'm surprised that I can fit in the same room with him and his ego. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you can detach and reset these countertops. And, you know, you know, this is included in that. And you don't need to paint two coats and all of these things that he see my air quotes nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, OK, great. Um, go ahead. And uh, and I had one guy actually pull out his contract and slam it down. And his his price was, you know, whatever it was. And then he wrote next to his price plus supplements mm. and i'm like oh no no no, no 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 supplements you're gonna do this job soup to nuts for this ridiculous price that you've offered yep oh well i you know we won't know everything i mean those countertops still may break or what i was like well then that's what i've estimated for those yep. are the things that i'm accounting for you know, and so what you're going to have to do is is tell me right here, right now, whether or not you are, are going to do it for that price. So that's why I'm having you make these assumptions now within your competitive bid and turn that competitive bid back into the carrier for going, uh, well, this guy's price seems to be pretty fair um, for the scope that he's doing. You know what I'm saying? And I have been uh, hired as a guy to go out to a competitive bid. And I talked to us, it was on a huge stucco claim. And I talked, I'm like, what do I know about stucco? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know there's line items in Xactimate, but I don't trust them. Yeah. You know, and then, and it was one of those sort of modern architectural, it had a lot of turns in it, a lot of bull noses, a lot of, and it's like, once you kind of pull the thread on that sweater, we're kind of painting the whole house here because there's no corners on this thing. Right. And these facets are very, very, very continuous. And so that has been, that has always been a challenge. Um, That has always been a challenge. You know, and so I went and talked to a stucco guy and I was like, is there any way that you can blend this? What is the cheapest you can do this, basically? And I understand I wasn't a public adjuster yet, but I was I was I was playing on the fence line for sure. And um, when that happened, uh, I found out that we were going to have to do the whole house. So I turned into competitive bid carrier picks up the phone as soon as my my bid hits his desk and goes this is more than what the contractor's asking for. I said, oh, was the goal for it to be less? Right. I had no idea that I thought you asked for a competitive bid. And it turns out this guy's got a better price than I do, you know? And, and it's like, it's like they fully expect it to come back lower. And so for all of you guys out there, and I know there's a lot of really good contractors that advocate for homeowners that are also on programs. It's a great way to build your business. It is a great way to build your business. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong side of things at all. Just remember when you're replacing, you're doing a competitive bid, be ready to do the work for that, especially if you run up against me. 
because I'm going to have you pull a contract out and that's what you're going to do it for. And that scope report thing is also another really good thing to make sure that you're working apples to apples. And so I'll send that scope report into that carrier and go, hey, this is what I need a competitive bid on. Here's the scope that we're suggesting. Well, we're going to send a competitive bid out. He'll he'll figure it out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got to agree on this scope. We've yep. got to agree on this scope. Jess, what do you got? Uh, it just, it goes back to where in the policy does it say that we, the insured even has to have one. Again, it's, it's, if the, if the insured has already selected their vendor, then it's a moot point. It's, it's done. There's no need to go get competitive bids. The only thing, the only thing that the policy really addresses there is like kind and quality. And common construction. Now, some policies, I see these more like in the admitted mid-Atlantic quite a bit where you've got a lot of historical historical structures or whatever, and they have some older construction methods that are still stand, like plaster, for example. Let me just give you, the, so if you have a wall that needs to be basically taken down to the studs and, and it's a plaster wall, there are places where they may go back with drywall because it's functional. Uh-huh. So some some policies say like kind and quality, some policies say functional. Um some policies say common construction, some policies say functional construction. And so you've got to look and see what the policy says, but by and large that's how you handle a competitive bid. Um Well, and then here's the other thing is you a lot of contractors, especially if they're swamped, right, especially following, you know, a major storm or hurricane or whatever, people are asking for bids everywhere. They don't have time or whatever. And they just they're like, OK, to make it worth our time, you know, at, at least, you know, 150 bucks. I'll write you a whole estimate and everything for 150 bucks or 250, but whatever their fees are. Right. That should be reimbursable to the insured if that's what the ins- the insurance company is requiring of the insured go go get us three competitive bids well guess what there's a lot of contractors now that especially in the middle of a hurricane or a major storm they just don't have the time or the resources they're running around you know ragged as it is so to have them stop and do a bid for every single one you know and no idea if they're going to actually get it a lot of them are just like no we're not doing that anymore it's we're, we're go 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 well, if you're going to require that the insured do three bids or more, whatever, you know, then you look, you're going to have to reimburse them for the fee of the bid just to get the claim going, you know? Wow. So. Yeah. I mean, so, so some of this, remember the, the carrier has to be reasonable. And when they start drifting out of the reasonable, they have the right to conduct a reasonable inspection as often as they like, as long as it's reasonable. So understand, I see carriers all the time. I'm dealing with a claim right now where the carrier is being complete. What he's asking for is completely unreasonable. And I'll get into a little bit more of that in round three because it really does apply. And I will tell you sort of this case study, this claim study that I'm working on. Round three starts. uh, Did I even hit the bell? I don't even know if I hit the bell. Okay, so that ends round two, and we're going to go ahead (laughs) and start round three right away now that we've got all of this tied up in a bow. Round three starts right after this. Are you a public adjuster, insurance roofer, or part of the restoration industry looking to streamline your first-party claims process? Let me introduce you to Claim Wizard, the ultimate tool that transforms the way you handle claims. 
Claim Wizard is designed with your unique business needs in mind. It offers a comprehensive suite of features that makes managing claims effortless. With its intuitive dashboard, you can easily track and manage every aspect of a claim from initiation to settlement. This powerful platform supports document management, automates workflows, and provides real-time updates, ensuring you stay ahead in the game. At Claim Wizard, they understand the importance of support. That's why they offer unmatched customer service with a team of experts who are always ready to assist you. Whether it's a technical query or guidance on best practices, Team Wizard is there to ensure your experience with Claim Wizard is smooth and efficient. Time is money, especially in the claims industry. Claim Wizard is engineered to maximize efficiency. It streamlines the entire claims process, reducing the time spent on paperwork and administration. This means faster claim resolution, increased customer satisfaction, and ultimately a boost in your business's productivity and profitability. So if you're looking to elevate your claims handling process, Claim Wizard is the solution. Try it today and experience a revolution in claims management. Claim Wizard, revolutionizing claims, handling one claim at a time. Round three, the peer review or the peer estimate. I got to take a deep breath on this one. (laughs) This has become more and more prevalent. And let me go ahead and put some parameters and define this thing. Often, and this happens a lot in mitigation and remediation is where I'm seeing it, but count that it's going to show up in other places. It's already showing, it's already rearing its ugly head um, in other places. I have seen it happen on roofs. I have seen it happen on fence staining. I have seen, I have seen this thing kind of come up and show itself a lot. And it kind of walks hand in hand with this reinspection competitive bid. And now what we have is peer review. And what they're doing is they're taking your estimate and um, photos that either they took or that even you took and sending them, sending them to another contractor going, how much would you do this work for? Or can you tell me um, the way this estimate should properly be written? And there's an entire organization. And I think don't hold me to this, but I think one of them is called Code Blue. I know that there are serve pros that are doing this. I've got a I've got a client that does biohazard cleanup and um, they're sending it off to um, a company that is a very well-known mitigation restoration cleanup company um, to do these. And they're coming back. I, I mean, fraction doesn't even begin to describe how much lower it is. Like, I'll just give you an example. The 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 remediation of this biohazard cleanup was $65,000, which may be high. I'm not saying that it's not. But their response to it was twelve grand. Okay? And I know they're wrong. Now, this other guy, he may be on the high end or whatever, but the what governs this is OSHA. They're using OSHA guidelines to govern kind of what their protocol would be, much like a water mitigation guy would use IICRC. Now, does I, I, you and I have talked a little bit about this on Biohazard Jess. Do, are they going to address um, biohazard cleanup or do they do any kind of certification for biohazard? 
So biohazard type stuff typically falls under OSHA. Um, OSHA has a disaster site worker course. They also have uh, the uh, HazWopper course. Um, and, and yes, it does actually fall under OSHA in terms of getting trained and certified. Um, in the IRCRC language, especially in the Water Restoration Technician Manual, it does touch base a little bit in the categorization uh, definition, um, which is currently undergoing rewrite. Um, so more to follow on where that falls. But those, you know, the, those categories and, you know, whether it's hazardous, not hazardous, what is a contaminant, what is an adverse reaction? Well, I mean, all that stuff's being picked apart right now and really scrutinized for, for language to help, you know, the, the technicians out there make, you know, good decisions and accurately convey and communicate to the insurance company what the category of damage is. Um, and it also has to deal with their personal protection equipment as well, depending on the category. So, uh, but yeah, I was a little surprised. I was like, oh, wait, it falls under OSHA? Uh, you know, I figured it would be kind of a an IRCRC thing. However, hazardous material is typically, you know, government. There's, there's typically some kind of government oversight. So it makes sense it would fall under OSHA. Well, yeah. And there's, I mean, whether... Whether it's EPA, whether it's, I mean, because when you have some of these biohazard cleanups, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically um, to when, when you're dealing with the deceased, okay? There's a lot of other things that go into this when there is a disclosure, when the, when the property is sold. I mean, I, I'm no real estate person, so if there's anybody out there uh, – um, that does real estate stuff, you can drop in the comments or anybody that could speak with any level of knowledge or expertise to the real estate thing that it's not just that it happened. It's what measures were taken to remediate that situation. You know, yeah. now and, in, in that case, yes, IICRC does have a certification for that, like a course for that. They do. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I'm driving at. And, and, and a lot of it is, I would assume, informed by OSHA, which is the governing body on, on some of these things, that these things have to be disclosed. They also, there has to be a certain protocol that's followed with any hazardous material, whether it's asbestos, whether it's mold, whether it's lead paint. There's all of these. There is protocols that have to be written. And I have found that there are certain this is what I am finding between in the in the biohazard cleanup space is there's no protocol that's being written, that's being honored within the insurance claims um, space at all so and that's one of the things that i notice when we deal with other hazardous materials there is a very well-known carrier that is claiming the contamination exclusion to not pay for the biohazard do you know what i mean like would you pay for an overflow toilet right do you know what i'm saying i mean if you wouldn't if you wouldn't, then okay. But I mean, that's sort of my, it's the same sort of, it's the same sort of hazardous material here. Now, contamination is typically, um, uh, sequestered to, um, like offsite contamination. You know what I mean? Um, like contamination would be more of an umbrella term. Hazardous material would fall kind of under that you know is it is it toxic is it non-toxic is it hazardous is it non-hazardous well any hazardous material contaminates that's i mean and so they're using that as a as a disqualification when in fact 
it's not all contained. It's how the contamination happened. And it's generally delineated by these, by these things. Did the contamination occur on the premises or did the contamination occur off the premises? Did the origin of loss occur on the premises or did it occur off of the premises? And contamination that occurs, and I'm just going to make up something to make sense here. Let's say there's a nuclear power plant that is dumping nuclear waste into the water supply and it causes the pipes to become contaminated. So you want to file a claim to replace all of the pipes because the pipes are contaminated, thereby contaminating the water and the dishes that you wash and the showers that you take. Okay, so you're wanting to replace the pipes to remove the contaminated pipes. That is a situation that would not be covered under your policy. However... Now, if for some reason you had a nuclear you had a nuclear uh, reactor in your home that powered your home and you had a nuclear spill. And again, this is hyperbolic. um, You had a nuclear spill on the premises that then would be covered. Okay, now I am making up perils and causes of loss here, and I am in no way being, you know, literal, but I am trying to delineate the differences between what a contamination exclusion would be and what a hazardous material that would typically be covered would be. Okay, about the only thing that I have seen excluded really and truly from a hazardous material most commonly in policies is our good friend. Mold. Howdy. Everything else generally is not excluded. Lead, asbestos, those sorts of things are generally would they would they cover an asbestos abatement? And so those things are usually specifically named. So biohazard of some sort, bodily fluid, whatever the case may be, would then be specifically listed as a hazardous material, not the umbrella of any and all contamination. Right. Because if your house burned down, would you pay for the smoke damage? Would you pay for the soot? <laughs> Is that not a contamination as well? My fi- my entire home was contaminated by fire. It's a contamination. And right. so to tell right. me that it's excluded is just not true, right? And so that is what they're denying it, which is a which is a material misrepresentation of the policy. The point that I'm trying to make here is that you'll get some of these peer reviews that are absolutely ridiculous and it will not stand up against the policy and contractors. When you run into that, get a hold of a public adjuster for one reason. And one reason only is they can argue the policy. And if they send you a denial letter saying it's denied because of contamination, you are stuck like Chuck. There's nothing you can do other than educate your homeowner and weaponize them. That's it. That's all you can do so when they hit you with that but generally they're not hitting you with the policy argument they're hitting you with this peer estimate that is completely and totally drastically wrong yeah you know you know what i'm saying again this comes down to the scope of what's going on what the origin of loss and what the cause of loss is and so as you're dealing with these things here that's fine and here's the other thing Here's the other thing that I want to talk about these is these people are not performing an investigation. They're basically using your your um, information and cherry picking 
portions of your information off and then writing an estimate. That is an estimate and, and, and valuing the loss without a full and complete investigation, which they are required to complete under the policy. So that's how you handle that. Jess, any thoughts there? I know that was kind of yeah. long and drawn out. I went around the barn to get to the hay there. Sorry. Uh, my biggest point of contention with peer reviews, I, I see the value in them. Right. It's it's always good to have a second opinion. It's always good to get a sanity check. It's always good to I mean, even the positive feedback you get from when you have submitted an invoice and your invoice comes within, you know, a, a small percentage, you know, of error of, of difference or whatever from, you know, a peer. It's it's nice. I mean, because it shows that you're you're like on point, you're, you're on the pulse. But here's the problem. I'm finding with peer reviews um, because now I'm on the water mitigation side and less and less on the PA side and that being on the water mitigation side, it's the issue is, you know, these, these people weren't there. They weren't there at the emergency service call when the water was everywhere. And I mean, yes, training nowadays is getting better for, you know, technicians to document losses, but Poor photography or documentation doesn't make a bad contractor. It just makes a bad file. But it doesn't, it, it, you, they shouldn't, these peer reviewers shouldn't hold hostage or, or hold it against the insured because these technicians aren't photographers. You know, it, the, they're not adjusters they, either. They're not adjusters. Yes, they're they are responding to an emergency situation. They're sucking out that water through vacuums. They're getting up the air movers. They're checking the relative humidity readings. You know, setting up equipment, running the fans, talking to the insureds, calming their nerves, putting them at ease. They, I mean, it's and it's quick. It, they're setting up quick to mitigate loss. The number one, the very first step yeah, that an insured is supposed to do under the policy provisions. And carriers act risk. like and carriers act like you have to set up a you know a major motion picture production with craft yes. services outside and cameras and gaffers and best boys and all of these things to sit here and document the loss and it's just unreasonable because when these guys <coughs> excuse me when these guys show up I mean it is two things elbows and assholes and that's it when they go to work you know what I'm saying and the guy running a camera. When a guy and there's not just a whole lot of concern about that because I'm going to take a picture of this damaged rug or this damaged flooring or this kind of thing. No, what I'm going to do is I am going to try to mitigate everything else. That's my that's my number one job is to mitigate from further loss. And taking pictures is not necessarily something that I can always pull off with any kind of degree of efficiency without sacrificing a portion of, of, of property. You're sacrificing some property so that you can get a good picture of something. And that's just unreasonable. Well, and like I said, training is getting better. Um, but at the same time, the, you know, technicians are learning how to be that photographer. They're learning how to document things like a crime scene. They're not going to be perfect for their first five to 10 claims. They're just not, and and it doesn't matter how phenomenal of a training program you put together. You are going to have technicians out there where it just doesn't click, or they just don't get it yet until they, you know, you really sit down and show them, look, we didn't get this claim paid because we were missing these five specific photos. Like, 
you know, and, and then it has to hurt their pocketbook if they're commissioned or I don't know, just what, whatever the case may be. Something has to make it click for them, for, for many people. To and truly it's unfortunate it's unfortunate that it's their claim getting denied, which ultimately affects that contractor. And it's a right. good, solid contractor that's going to provide a good, solid service that can no longer yes. stay in business because they didn't know how to label a photo. And that's ridiculous. And the person that really suffers is not just the insured that's sitting there. It's all the future insureds that are going to need a reputable contractor that knows how to go about this process. And I'm telling you, it infuriates me. I cannot tell you how much. And I, I just I mean, things in front of me are gonna get tore up from the floor up when I when when I when yes. I get a hold of somebody in that situation. I cannot tell you how much that aggravates and frustrates me because they're actually trying to do the right thing. And in the middle of trying to do the right thing, you want to criticize them on some stupid effing technicality that that prevents them from getting paid and the insured being restored. I hope you're proud of yourself. Like I, I remember seeing a, a report where they they showed all the water damage. They showed you know moisture readings everywhere, and then they stopped taking pictures and they did their job. They demoed whatever, and then they set up the fans and then they went home, and then they monitored and then it came back. And when it came down to photo report time, they put all the photos together, put it in the file, did the estimate, etc. Insurance or the the peer review came back and said, well, there's no photos of the equipment being set. There's no photos of the equipment set up. So we can't, how do we know how many fans there were really put in there? Like, come on, man. I mean, oh, your is the number too big? Your fans were too the, big and we're not going to yeah. pay for that fan. That's an exactly. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And it's like, and the other myth, and this is something that the, the, the IICRC rewrite is trying to dispel is a, this myth that any structure can be dried out in three days. There was some language in the previous edition, and it's still lingering around that made it seem like it would only take three days on average. Average is also being the operative word even back then. But there is a myth in, in the, on the carrier side that structures can all be dried out in three days. No, that's argue, not true at all. One might argue, Jess. That if you can't dry it in three days, we need to start considering tearing it out. So we can go that direction if you want to do that, as opposed to leaving it wet. But the reality, and, and I've and I've discussed this. We've discussed this ad nauseum on the three day thing. It was really a marketing ploy um, that was that was created that's, by. Yes, that's what it was. That's right. There's a large well, marketing ploy that was actually, and I mean, and and God love. God love them. They were trying to get people taken care of. And really and truly, the company that said we can dry any structure in three days was really saying we're only going to charge you for three days no matter how long it takes us. Yeah. And, and then, it, then there's, then there's the, the, the these peer reviews saying things like, well, you didn't need to supplement heat. Well, okay. But if you're in Ohio in the middle of winter when it's freezing cold, snow outside, relative humidity is very high. You know, you, it can't be done in three days. You right. have to supplement heat to get it to dry faster. <laughs> right. So exactly. you're racing mean, against the clock of, of mold developing if you don't supplement heat in some of those. And these peer reviews are coming. Wow, I think that might have been a little excessive. Really? I mean, were you there? <laughs> Did yeah, you see the again, readings? 
And again, you're also looking at the airflow of a room and on, you know, I mean, I've never seen two rooms that look exactly alike, you know, even a 12 by 12 bedroom may, you know, in one house and a 12 by 12 bedroom in another house may have a completely different flow of air when you, you just, there's so much that goes on there that you have there's to a consider. lot of variables, way too well, many guys, variables. I hope that this reinspection competitive bid and peer review episode has helped you out. If you want more of this, I am telling you, and tickets are going fast. We're just about out of tickets for control the narrative. Um, I've got a few left and I, and I may try to squeeze you in. We did have one, um, one small thing that happened is we do have a venue change. That's going to be at serendipity labs. Check the website, uh, for details and the address for what it is. Um, or you can also check, uh, the Facebook page, the, uh, the invites got the updated address on it. Um, we're going to be doing it serendipity labs. It's actually an upgrade. Um, I, one of the things that I will tell you is that I am glad that we're doing it there because you'll be able to bring your laptop and your iPad and be able to charge it. It's going to be an awesome thing. If you want to learn more about this stuff, all of this stuff, I will be covering and control the narrative. Um, it's going to be an incredible event. So you don't want to miss that again. That's March 5th, remedyclaims.com slash training to get registered for that. And then um, if you like this episode and you found it useful, please hit like and subscribe. And if you know somebody that needs to hear this, please be sure to pass it along by pressing that share button. And we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.